Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellen podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. All right. Good morning, Life in Deep Ellum. Two weeks ago, on this very stage, we talked about togetherness, specifically being in community together, as we are a creedal community, with people that we may not look like, act like, think like, or we downright might not even like. In a society that continues to increase in division over disagreements, even amongst their own supposed tribes, the charge was to rise above and to do the hard work of living in community well with those who differ from us. Today, we will pick up right where I left off and we'll look at Acts chapter 28. Yes, the entire chapter, but don't be afraid. And what it looks like to take a stand when appropriate, rather than to just throw in the towel and ultimately... Be the encouraging, unexpected neighbor to those we are in community with here at Life in Deep Ellum, the diverse neighborhood of Deep Ellum, and broader Dallas, and ultimately our divided and polarized nation. To be completely honest and transparent, I had a difficulty, I had a bit of difficulty writing a sermon on encouragement for our community. It is true that we are on the horizon of what's next. For us as a community. And what's next can be scary sometimes. So for some of us. Acknowledging the elephant in the room of living together. Right? There are differing views. And so some of us may be excited. And about what's next. But there is also a weight of some of us who may feel as if there has been a lack of transparency in the process. And those folks are finding difficulty, feeling excited and encouraged, having maybe feeling as if they were kept in the dark. And so we have to acknowledge both sides as we are a creedal community. And so to that latter group, I hear you, I see you, and I feel you. But that's where this message of encouragement begins. I believe that we as a collective society may have a bit of a rose-colored view on what encouragement means. That to be encouraging and to be encouraged, everything has to be picture perfect. Quite literally, as defined by Oxford, the word encouragement means, quote, the action of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. Things don't have to be picture perfect to give support, confidence, or hope. Things don't have to be completely bleak either. Things can be mundane. But isn't that life full of ups, downs, everything in between the mundane? A few famous examples of people, whether real or fictitious, come to mind when I think of those who embody support, confidence, hope, encouragement. One such person that comes to mind is Forrest Gump. Yes, the iconic character played by Tom Hanks in 1994. And if you have not seen this classic movie, any spoilers that come in the next minute or so are completely on you because this movie is almost 30 years old. 
Forrest is categorized as, quote, a man with below average intelligence. And as we watch Forrest's life unfold, we see that there were many instances where he could have easily thrown in the towel and given up. When his legs were braced and he could barely walk, yet he rose above and inspired many to later run across the country with him. When Jenny quite seemingly took advantage of his love, I have my thoughts and feelings on that, for her and yet came back to him years later, kind of. You see, not only did Forrest rise above his own personal life challenges, but there were countless times that he fully experienced life and even influenced some defining moments in American history. Setting an example for us of confidently supporting and encouraging all that we come in contact with and even giving hope to the hopeless. You see, even at a young age... Just before he gets on the bus, there's a beautiful exchange between young Forrest and the driver, Dorothy. The driver asks him if he's coming along, and Forrest replies, Mama said not to be taking rides from strangers. And Dorothy answers, well, this is the bus to school. Forrest pauses and then introduces himself. I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump. Dorothy replies with a bit of pleasant surprise in her voice, I'm Dorothy Harris. Young Forrest quickly responds and says, well, now we ain't strangers anymore. Throughout this story, Forrest Gump shows the church how to be the church. To be that light of hope and encouragement, that unexpected neighbor, no matter if it is the person we are literally fighting a war alongside, the president whose hand we shake when we truly gots to pee, whether it's the bus driver or sharing chocolate with the individual sitting next to us on a bench. Forrest shows us how to unexpectedly encourage our neighbor right here in this room and at the restaurant and bar and benches just down the street, outside of these four walls. Right here in this neighborhood, it's hard not to reflect on the many times I have both been the encouraging unexpected neighbor or have received the encouraging unexpected neighbor. Anyone who has spent time with me at a brewery in this neighborhood knows firsthand how it does not take very long for there to suddenly be another person joining us in conversation at the bar or even at our table, whether for just a few minutes or for countless hours that turns into a night of bar hopping dinner and countless moments shared together. Moments of laughter, deep conversation, and everything in between. And the beautiful thing is these moments have come no matter the circumstances in my personal life at that particular moment in time. And that's where we find ourselves today. So turn with me to Acts chapter 28, which is the last chapter of the second book authored by Luke the physician. And I am reading from the voice translation. We quickly, we quickly learned that we were on the island of Malta. The Maltese people found us and were extraordinarily kind to us. They kindled a bonfire and welcomed us around it, which we greatly appreciated because it was raining and cold. Paul was gathering firewood and helping build the fire, and a viper had been hiding in some of the wood, and as it tried to escape the heat, it bit Paul on the hand. It sank its fangs in and wouldn't let go. 
The natives saw it dangling from his hand and said, This man must be a murderer. He escaped the sea, but now justice has caught up with him. Paul simply shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no harm. The natives knew what to expect, rapid swelling followed by death. But when they waited a long time and saw that Paul suffered no ill effects of the bite, they changed their minds and concluded that he was a god. The leading man of the island, Publius, owned large amounts of land near this beach, and he received us and hosted us for three days. But his father was sick, bedridden with fever and dysentery. Paul visited the invalid and prayed for him, placing his hands on Publius's father. The man was cured. Soon people from all over the island who had diseases came, and they were cured as well. We stayed on Malta for the next three months and were treated with great honor. When spring arrived, we prepared to continue our journey on a ship that had wintered there, an Alexandrian vessel with the twin brothers as its figurehead. And the Maltese people showed us a final kindness as we departed. They came with all the provisions we needed for our journey and put them on board. We set sail from Malta and stopped first at Syracuse. After three days, we weighed anchor and came to Regium. We waited there a day, and then a south wind sprang up and sped us to Pudioli. We found some believers there, and they invited us to stay with them for several days, seven days. Then we reached Rome. The believers from Rome heard we were coming, so they traveled out to meet us at the Forum of Appius in three taverns. Paul thanked God and felt encouraged to see them. Once inside the city, Paul lived under house arrest by himself with only one soldier to guard him. Three days after his arrival, he called together the local Jewish leaders and said, Brothers, although I committed no wrong against our Jewish people or our ancestral customs, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. The Romans examined me and wanted to set me free because I had committed no capital offense, but my Jewish opponents objected. So I had to appeal to the emperor, even though I had no charges against me and had filed no charges against my nation. I wanted to gather you together and explain all this to you. I want you to understand that it is because of Israel's hope that I am bound with this chain. The Jewish leader said, we haven't received letters from Judea about you and no visiting brother has reported anything or said anything negative about you. So we are interested in hearing your viewpoint on the sect you represent. The only thing we know about it is that people everywhere speak against it. They scheduled a day to meet again, and a large number came to his lodging. From morning until evening, he explained his message to them, giving his account of the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and the prophet's writings. Some were convinced, but others refused to believe. Paul, adding as they left in disagreement, said, The Holy Spirit rightly spoke to your ancestors through the prophet Isaiah. Go to this people and say, You certainly do hear, but you will never understand. You certainly do see, but you will never have insight. Make their hearts hard, their ears deaf, and their eyes blind. Otherwise, they would look and see, listen and hear, understand and repent and be healed. So let it be known to you that God's liberation, God's healing, has been sent to the outsiders, and they will listen. Then the local Jewish leaders left Paul to discuss all he had told them. 
For two full years he lived there in Rome, paying all his own expenses, receiving all who came to him. With great confidence and with no hindrance, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the ultimate authority, the Lord Jesus, God's anointed, the liberating king. So, there's a lot going on in this story. We could break this chapter down into several sermons, even its own sermon series, but we do not have time for that. So, fortunately, this chapter is much more digestible when we break it down as such. Section 1, verses 1 through 11, is Paul's trip to Malta. Section 2, verses 12 through 16, is the journey from Malta to Rome. Section 3, verses 17 through 22, is Paul's interview with the Jewish leaders. And section 4, verses 23 through 29, Paul addresses the Jews. And then the conclusion is verses 30 and 31. So let's look at the key themes and little nuggets broken down in each section. So section 1, verses 1 through 11, Paul's trip to Malta. At the beginning of this section and at the beginning of the entire chapter, we find Paul in Malta, part of modern Sicily, originally colonized by the Phoenicians. As such, the Maltese people spoke Phoenician and not Greek or Latin, not sharing in the customs of either Greeks or Romans. And again, just as our story from Acts 6, are viewed as lesser than. They are even called the barbarous people in some translations of scripture and were considered foreign by the entire Roman Empire. Almost immediately, Paul is helping the Maltese people build a fire and a viper bites him on the hand. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like snakes. So I don't personally mess around with them. I don't go into their habitations. I would have freaked out. Had it bitten me, and that's putting it PG and putting it nicely. Now, I also did a little research, reluctantly, on vipers. This was most likely not a surly, slothful snake that just bit Paul's hand for disrupting its sleep. This is what nightmares are made of, people. Rather, vipers apparently dart at their enemies and can even leap several feet in one bound. No. No, no, no. No, thank you. That's a whole lot of note for me. Now, when the Maltese people witness this and state that Paul, quote, must be a murderer, end quote, this is rooted in a belief that is prevalent in Greek mythology that the fates align against people who commit crimes against people. And when they say, quote, justice, little J, has caught up with them, this most likely refers to the Greek goddess, capital J the daughter of Zeus and Themis. You see, the goddess Justice was believed to work circumstantially in establishing people's fate. Therefore, the Maltese people in our story would have most likely viewed the goddess Justice, capital J, as having orchestrated this viper to bite Paul's hand as a just reward for his evil deeds. So we have to understand that context. And yet, when they see that his hand did not even swell after the bite, they were deeply perplexed and their view of Paul immediately shifts from murderer to God. And this is Paul's first opportunity to be the unexpected neighbor and to share the ultimate message of encouragement and hope. 
As the story spreads among the Maltese, the leader of the island comes to Paul to heal his father. And this was just the beginning of Paul's encouragement, support, literal healing, and the ultimate capital H hope, that is Jesus Christ, shared with the Maltese people. In section 2, verses 12 through 16, the journey from Malta to Rome, it's interesting to note that Paul felt encouraged to see the Roman believers here in verse 15. Imagine you are a prisoner of the very leaders you went to school with, learned from the same books with, people who even once viewed you as a rising star, and now you are taking a stand against these very people. Yet, it's not as easy as just showing up to a trial. No, there's a shipwreck. Some crazy leaping snake bit you on the hand, and your boat is shifted from the east coast to the southwestern point back up to the north, and you still can't tell your story. The short version, Paul is probably beaten down, a little discouraged, maybe even wanting to give up at this point. I mean, after all, what's the point? And to fill in some gaps from my personal story two weeks ago. When I stood up to Baptist leaders on how our LGBTQ plus youth were wrongly being rejected by their own families to therefore experience homelessness. There were many points along that journey that I wanted to give up. When I lost this organization in 2020 that I fought so hard to create due to circumstances out of my control like many stories as a result of the COVID pandemic, looking for a new job, even my life's purpose, there were moments I wanted to throw in the towel. When the odds of life seem against us, we come to a crossroads that is typically only presented as two options. Leave, give up, or stay. More on this in a moment. But Paul probably emotionally and spiritually, maybe even physically beaten down, finds himself encouraged by the Roman believers, a group that he wrote a series of letters to, bringing words of encouragement himself along the way. And then in section three, with his interview with the Jewish leaders in verses 17 through 22, this is Paul's first opportunity to share his story. Notice that he starts with a bit of ownership in his words of, quote, our Jewish people. He starts with his own cultural privilege amongst these leaders to boldly take a stand, identifying as one of them. This is the first time where I would say Paul took a third path at his aforementioned crossroads, and I would even go so far as to suggest that he forged a third path. He didn't give up though many would not have blamed him for doing so. And he didn't stay compliant with the status quo either. Earlier this week in Father Richard Rohr's devotional, Brian McLaren shared the story of two Catholic nuns who took a stand within their church leadership. In his reflection of the story of these two nuns, McLaren thought, quote, there are more than two options. I don't have to choose between staying Christian compliantly 
or leaving Christianity defiantly. I can stay defiantly like these two nuns. I can intentionally, consciously, resolutely refuse to leave. And with equal intention and resolution, I can refuse to comply with the status quo. I can occupy Christianity with a different way of being Christian. McLaren's musing at its core was rooted in the harsh reality that people either get pissed off and leave church altogether or just conform to awful church policy and ideology that marginalizes others. So this forged third way that's presented is to stay and take a stand, though not necessarily in an aggressive burn it all down kind of way. And that's where we find the Apostle Paul. Last time we talked about Paul, who was once the poster child of the religious status quo. Then he leaves the status quo and becomes an outcast. Then things get wild. Paul is now being persecuted and thrown in jail by the very religious status quo he once strongly followed. It would have been easy for him to leave defiantly, even before all of the turmoil here in Acts chapter 28. As aforementioned in my story, it would have been easy to leave Christianity defiantly when the religious status quo were condemning me to hell and sending me literal hate mail. Yes, that still happens. I tried to leave, but something kept pulling me back. That's when the Holy Spirit showed me that it doesn't have to be an either or, but rather a both and. You can stay defiantly, as McLaren put it. That is, like Paul, paving a third way and standing up to the religious status quo, staying the course no matter what comes your way, and through this third path, you can be an unexpected neighbor, supporting, encouraging others, and showing hope to others along the way. In our penultimate section of Acts 28 and verses 23 through 29, Paul continues to tell his story. Some here, some are encouraged. Others are closed off to his story. Not everyone was welcoming to Forrest Gump and it's freaking Forrest Gump. Being the encourager, being the unexpected neighbor will not always be welcomed with open arms. But that doesn't mean we should give up. In our last two verses, Paul continued to share the gospel by sharing his story. In our last verse, we see he shared, quote, with confidence, one of the foundations of our earlier definition of encouragement. When it would have been easier to hunker down, especially as a prisoner, Paul continued to be the unexpected neighbor. He did it with boldness, courage, and even defiance. And that's where we find ourselves today. No, we are not the church we once were. So those of us still in this room could, like others in this faith community have, Leave defiantly. And no one would blame us. We could also, like others have, both in our faith community and the broader Capital C Church, stay compliant and become status quo. 
Instead, I want to encourage each and every one of us, myself included, to forge the third path. Let's stay defiantly. May we stand up to and boldly say no to the status quo. And may we not leave defiantly just because something isn't going our way. Or like my last sermon, when it's not easy to be together with the other. May we be the unexpected, encouraging, status quo defiant neighbor. But what does that look like? This week... We saw that the Southern Baptist Convention had covered up just shy of 80 religious leaders accused of sexual assault for decades. We also saw SBC leaders boldly take a stand and say enough is enough. It's easy to point a finger at those who were compliant and covered up these horrific occurrences of sexual assault. And though the verdict is still out how this story will unfold, I invite us to pause to reflect on the boldness and the encouragement of the unexpected neighbors who are still within the Southern Baptist Convention, who are taking a defiant stand knowing they could maybe lose their jobs for doing so. Also this week, we saw yet another tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. As a son and brother and friend to teachers and school administrators, my heart breaks for the overwhelming amount of justified fear of our teachers and school administrators as they try to navigate a world of hatred and uncertainty for our children and those children's parents, guardians, and loved ones. I can guarantee you that there are differing views, strong views, right here in this room, opposing views on whether or not the Second Amendment needs to be reevaluated and amended through a modern lens. Yet we are culturally divided by our political ideologies, some of us so much so that we cannot even have a productive conversation anymore that might actually lend itself to sound solutions found through sound public policy. Rather, we let our differences divide. But what if we did not stay compliant with the status quo? And what if we didn't leave pissed off, whether physically or figuratively dismissive in a conversation or physically away from a friendship or a familial relationship. Because that's where we are as a society. What if we stayed defiantly? What if we took a bold and courageous stand, but with grace, compassion, hope, support, encouragement? What if we focused more on being present with those around us that this encouragement of being the unexpected neighbor trickled into the lives of all that we come in contact with? 
What if those same people then took on our posture and this same spirit of encouragement that it also continued to trickle into a force that could not be stopped, that subsequently not only changed the neighborhood around us, but rather the world around us as a whole to be that encouraging neighbor that stays defiantly rather than compliantly? Because isn't that who the church is supposed to be? Isn't that how the church is supposed to influence the world around us? This is our charge. This is our call. This should even be our individual creeds. As we venture into the unknown of a new season of life with a pastor who may not know this neighborhood, may we not yield to the status quo and wait on their vision that will have to take time to form. Rather, may we greet this individual with encouragement, show them the neighborhood, and may we boldly, sometimes even defiantly, stand against the status quo of a church that we no longer are and forge this third path to venture out once again into a neighborhood that we say we love and to be that encouraging, unexpected neighbor. So then... In the words of the Apostle Paul in the 15th chapter of Romans, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. You are dismissed. Mm -hmm.